0: Good morning! Sounds like I'm on. So, um, My name is Emily, like Alka said, and there's Jay, my husband, there. Um, we have three kids with a little girl, our fourth, coming um, in a few weeks, so we're really excited to meet her. And um, We've lived in New Hampshire for a while now, um, and I just love living in New Hampshire. One of the things that I love about New England is that we get all the seasons. We get four distinct seasons. And each one is so unique and different. I love something about every one of them. But now we're in the fall, and I'd love a show of hands. Whose favorite season is fall in New England? Yeah, With the colors, um, the vibrant colors, even on a rainy day like today, it's like it they're even more beautiful. The cool nights, the warm days, crockpot meals, soup can go back on the menu. And it's like everything is getting cozy for the colder winter months that are coming pretty soon. And... All the wildlife starts to get ready for winter, too. I was driving by a pond uh, near my house recently, and it was filled, just covered with Canadian geese that were migrating south for the winter. So, in light of the migration season, I have a little trivia question for you. Of all the birds that migrate south for the winter, what's the insect that joins them from all the way up north and migrates all the way south down to Mexico and California? Yeah, it's the monarch. I think everybody knows that. Um, and I have a picture of him. That's the monarch. Well, actually, that's, not, that's a monarch caterpillar. But how could a caterpillar like that um, even consider making a 2,500-mile journey from up north down to Mexico or to California? He would have to go through a complete transformation into something totally new to even consider a journey of that magnitude. And of course, we all know that's what happens to the caterpillar. It's why we love butterflies, I think. When it goes into the chrysalis, it comes out an entirely new creature, something totally new. And it's what makes that journey even start to feel possible for the, for the monarch butterfly. So can I get the next slide up there? Yeah, that's a little, that looks a little more like something that could make a journey 2,500 miles to the south. It has wings. It's not like the caterpillar that it used to be. A monarch butterfly isn't just a caterpillar trying to be a butterfly, putting on a costume with some wings attached in the back. Um, On Wednesday, my daughter Phoebe is going to be a fairy. She's going to transform into a fairy. And she has some wings she's going to put on. But she won't actually be (laughs) a fairy. Um, A butterfly has actually transformed. It's actually become... A totally new creature and if you're a Christian that's what's happened to you the Bible says if you are in Christ you are a new creation you went from being a sinner to being a child of God a saint and the Bible even calls you holy this is great news because if we've come to know Jesus and all we're doing is pretending to have changed we're just wearing a costume we'll talk about discouraging because how can we live any differently if we're just the same as we were before, but trying to be different? we be trying to love Jesus and follow him and do things God's way and then failing miserably. Um, John Bunyan, who's the author of A Pilgrim's Progress, wrote a poem that says it like this. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. This is the amazing news of the gospel. It's why we call the gospel the good news, that we've fallen short of God's requirements. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt others. And though we want to do what's right, we're never able to live up to that. That's what the Bible calls sin. And there's only one way to deal with our sin. Jesus' death on the cross, taking the punishment, that we earned, and that we deserved. He forgives us when we repent. He brings us close to him. And then he totally transforms us, no longer sinners, but he calls us saints and holy, children of God, new creations. So what do you think? Is that how you see yourself? If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, if you've put your trust in him, is that how you feel, like a new creation? Do you think um, God says I'm holy and you're able to really believe that? Do you feel like a new creation? Or do you often feel like a failure, like there's a gap between who you want to be and who you feel like you actually are? And that's often been me, if I'm honest. I've often really struggled to apply this in my own life. I can tend to be hard on myself, listening to the voice in my head that tells me I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough. And I remember in my early 20s, I got into this cycle of hopefulness about who, how I was sometimes living to please God because I, I love him, I love Jesus, I want to um, obey him. And then I'd be discouraged over the gap between who I wanted to be and who I felt like I really was. And um, for months, when Jay and I were first married, we were married, we've been married nine years now, um, but it was for months right after we were married that I used to wake up in the night, and I would feel shame, like um, a weight pressing down on me in the night. And it was memories of things that I had done before I met Jay that I really regretted. Um, I'd made some dumb choices when I was single and dating different people, things I didn't I didn't really want to do because I knew they weren't good for me but then I would do anyway because I felt insecure or I wasn't confident about myself or sometimes I was pretty lonely and I made some bad choices so sometimes in the middle of the night um multiple times a week for months really I would wake up with that weight of shame like oh how could I have done that you know I know better and this wasn't Jay you know making me feel bad about myself he's never done that it was the voice in my own head telling me, um, condemning me, and making me feel ashamed, and sometimes I'd wake Jay up and, and have him pray for me, but it was so frequent that I started quoting um, scripture to myself, Psalm 103, um, till I could fall asleep, and, and that psalm has a picture of how God actually sees us, not the condemning voice um, that's in our head, but the voice of forgiveness, he removes our sins from us, all the bad things we've done, the things we regret doing, you know, as far as the east is from the west. And eventually I stopped feeling that kind, of, that kind of shame, and I think it was because the head knowledge I knew about God was getting down into my heart. Have you ever had times in your life where the condemning voice in your head is louder than anything else? And mayb- maybe you feel that right now. It's condemning you, weighing you down with shame, telling you you're a failure. You know, maybe you have some deep regret over years that you spent doing something unhelpful for you, or maybe you wonder, can I ever be forgiven? Because you've hurt someone else so badly um, that you just wonder if it can ever be made right. The Bible says, if you are a Christian and you've repented, you are forgiven. You don't have to live carrying around a burden of all the dumb or bad things or unkind things that you've done. You can live free. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, this is for you too. You can turn to him and trust in him, and he will forgive you and take away all your sin and your shame. And actually, he's the only one who has the power to forgive you and take away your shame. The Bible says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, and and this means stop, take a look. Don't move on until you get this. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He forgives all the bad things we've ever done, and then he transforms us instantly. We're God's child now, like the butterfly that comes out of the chrysalis. We're made new. We're a miracle of God's grace. Each one of us here today who knows Christ, we are a miracle of God's grace. You are a miracle of his grace. And when God speaks, his word has impact. When he says something, it happens. In the very beginning of the Bible, what's the first thing we have on record that God says? Let there be light. And there was light. So his word actually brings life. It actually creates. It's living. We might not see the change right away, um, but that doesn't make what God says any less true. His word has already begun to bring change at the moment he speaks. And there's so many examples that we have in the Bible of people that God declared new, he said something new in their life, and it takes a while, we might not see the change right away, but then as time goes on, we see that transformation has happened and what God said about them has come true. Abraham in the Old Testament is one of those people. He was originally called Abram, and in that culture, people's names carried a lot of weight, a lot of significance. Abram means exalted father but he didn't have any children, and it really looks like that wasn't gonna happen for him because he was almost 100. Um, and how embarrassing, maybe it would've been even, even shameful for him that he was called exalted father, but with no kids in a culture at the time that really valued um, being able to have children. Well, when God came to Abram, God gave him a new name, but he didn't withdraw the promise of children. Instead, he called him Abraham, which means not just exalted father, but father of a multitude. So God was doubling down on the promise. And Abraham believed God, the Bible tells us, even though there was no evidence that anything had changed right away. Um, But we know now that he really did become a father of a multitude, not just physical children, but the Bible says all of us who, who are children of God are children of Abraham as well. So he became a father of a multitude. And God did this by his own life-giving word. He declared this in Abraham, and then he made it true over his lifetime and in all the generations since. So that's what God does with us. He declares change. He declares something new in our lives, and then he works that change in us. So when does what God says about us become true? Is it when he declares it or is it when we see it happen? It begins the moment that he says it, and then he works that in us over time through the years. The Apostle Paul got this. He says in 1 Corinthians, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul was secure about this new identity that God had given him. He wants us to be at peace too. God wants us to be secure in who we are in Christ. And what's important is not how we feel we are, whether we feel like a failure or unworthy. What's important is who God says we are. He is the only one with the true assessment of our lives. God says we're saints, we're holy, we're his children. We don't have to act the part, we already are. So our role is to be who we are. It's not positive thinking, it's reality. It's living out what God says has already happened radically on the inside. Paul says, God's grace toward me did not prove vain. And another way of saying that is that God's grace toward me didn't prove useless or fruitless. So apparently sometimes God's grace to us can be fruitless in our lives or ineffective. And I know none of us want that. So how do we make sure God's grace to us is effective and bears good fruit in our lives? Be who you are. If you're a Christian, you're a forgiven, holy child of God. Be who you are. And I want to look at five ways that we can do that, that we can be who we are. Um, So number one, the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to believe God. Not just in an ivory tower, intellectual, you know, we know it in our heads kind of way, but in the everyday nitty-gritty moments of our lives. Um, For me... Being a parent has taught me really the most about how to believe God in the every day. You know, I've done some hard things in my life. Like Alka said, I've been in the military. I've, I've been to war zones, and I've briefed generals. But parenting is like 100 times harder for me than anything else I've ever done. Um, it's a challenge. And being a mom, you know, it brings out your baggage. And it's shown me that I'm impatient. And it turns out I have some control problems. And... Um, you know it's hard it's really hard um i have a picture of of some of my kids two of my kids are on the on the this side and those those three on the other side are my brother's kids and um, we're on our way to go get ice cream cones they're on the dover community trail headed to dover delight and all the kids are so excited because who doesn't love ice cream but my son is the one in the middle there with his feet like. All the way off the ground we're going to get ice cream He just like loves things on a whole nother level from most other people. He's passionate. he gets excited about all the best things in life like ice cream, which I totally agree with him about that. He makes all those things that you know you don't even think about anymore because you're an adult and it's like old news. he makes all those things fun again he's got enthusiasm and passion. But um, some of you know this from personal experience. Passion and emotion are, like, really difficult to parent, really challenging, requires a lot of patience. And the everyday things it are significant emotional events for kids who are like that. And, you know, I know this about him. I and can anticipate it before it happens. But still, let me tell you, so many times I've blown it. Even though I, I know I'm going to need patience, I just blow it. Um, I lose my patience I'm unkind in how I'm dealing with him because I'm at the end of my rope and instead of helping him work through the huge emotions he's having, I just like get in the car you know we just need to go and um, I've had to put both of us in timeouts like so many times <laughs> and you know and there I am in my room fuming like so angry because a little bit at him but mostly at myself because I totally mishandled the situation. So, in that moment, I have a chance to choose whether I'm gonna believe God or not. Am I gonna believe him that I'm a new creation, free to walk in grace, as someone that God has made holy? Or am I gonna wallow in feeling like shame and a sense of failure? I'm totally wrecking my kids. Yeah, I failed, but I'm not a failure. God says I'm not a failure. You know, I've sinned, but I'm not a sinner, and that's, that's a huge difference. Every failure is an opportunity to believe God. Terry Virgo has a great way of describing this. He's the founder of our uh, New Frontiers Church movement, and I recommend reading his book. It's been really good, really helpful for me. He says, sadly, in this day of conflict with the world, in this age of conflict with the world, the flesh and the devil, I do sin, but I sin as a saint with all the sadness and inappropriateness of it, not as a sinner, with all the inevitability that that suggests. You know, if we wallow in shame, it makes us want to hide. or maybe we downplay what we've done, or we blame other people like oh, if Noah weren't so much like that, you know, I wouldn't be reacting like this. because it you know we don't want to feel so bad about ourselves. But if we believe God and we remember that we're holy, no shame, just sadness over our failures, we are free. We're free to repent. No hiding. We can own up to what we've done. Just sadness over our failures. Um, You know, and I was thinking, like, imagine how revolutionary that could be in your workplace if everyone was operating like that, free from shame or feeling like a failure, just able to take full responsibility. And we should be the ones to model that. I've been getting better at the years over doing that as a parent, you know, taking a moment to believe God, and then going to know how to repent um, for what I've done and just show him how sad I am for how I treated him. And then I can help walk him through that same process, not to shame him, but to free him, just to get all that, the bad seed, we call it, get that bad seed out of his heart. Um, so I used to define success as a parent as never having any, anything to be sorry about, just doing it right. That's what I used to think of as success. But, I mean, that's impossible. And also, um, you know, I now see success as letting my kids see the process of God's grace at work in my own life. Um, So if you're a Christian, if you fail, you're not a failure. If you sin, you're not a sinner. So let's believe God in the everyday moments of our lives. The second way we can be who we are is to avoid legalism like the plague. Legalism is deadly. It kills relationship with God and with other people. Um, Legalism can take on a few different forms. It can look like making Christianity into just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Or it can look like following the letter of the law but ignoring the spirit of it. The spirit in which the law was given or the intent behind it. But Christianity is not a rule book to follow. It's a relationship with God himself. And I, you know, I was, as I was praying this morning, I felt like God really wanted us to get this, that it's not about um, following the do's and the don'ts. It's about knowing him and loving him and walking side by side with him. And as we do that through a relationship with him, born out of love, his love for us and our return love for him, that's where the joy and the life is in Christianity. You know, Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and the second greatest is to love your neighbor. All the other commandments hang on these two, so it's about relationship. It's about, it starts with love for Jesus and love for other people. Um, When Jay and I were first married, we wanted to get on the same page with our finances, so we, uh, Jay's very organized. He's a financial planner, so he had very specific categories that we worked on together mostly, but um, you know how much we're going to spend in each area each month, and um, if we had just set up the budget categories, like these are the rules, and we're just going to follow the rules and never talk about them again, you know that that would have been like treating Christianity like a bunch of do's and don'ts. But actually, it was an ongoing conversation. You know, I had hair products that I don't think he realized were kind of expensive, and. Jay loves to buy music, and he love to eat out, so we needed to make room for these things. We shifted things around um, over time. We had to talk it through. We're just different people. And it was all those conversations that were occasionally tense and heated, but mostly just a lot of fun, um, that gave us a chance to learn how to work together, how to communicate with each other, how to communicate our needs, our wants, how to listen to each other and hear what the other person was really saying. Imagine what we would have missed out on if we just treated it like these are the rules and we never talked about it again. Obeying God should be like that. It's not just rules to follow, but it's an ongoing conversation with him. We get to learn more about him. We learn to really listen and to hear what he's saying, to talk to him. That's where the life and the joy is. And legalism, it takes all that life right out of it. Um, And a third kind of legalism that I wanted to mention is something that Jesus treated as a really serious problem. He rebuked religious leaders who were teaching human traditions as if they were the word of God. And we have no right to burden people with restrictions where God hasn't placed any restriction. Have you ever put pressure or expectations on other people over things that aren't directed by God? I know I've done that and i think it's a pretty common human trait to do that if we're not careful and looking out for that and i think it's also a human trait to put that on ourselves unwritten rules and expectations about how you should manage your career or how you should raise your kids or educate your kids or you know what it should look like to be a good christian you don't need to try and look the part of a christian for god to accept you first of all you're already fully accepted And you don't need to look the part of a child of God because you already are. So be who you are. The third way that we can be who we are is by watching out for carelessness or license. Sometimes people will call this cheap grace. And that is the opposite of legalism. License is the opposite of legalism. It's doing what's wrong because we're free now. We can do whatever we want. But then we end up being ruled by things sometimes that aren't good for us. So we don't want to be careless. We want to live free. God set us free. Let's live free. Um, A friend of mine recently told me she decided to stop drinking alcohol for a little while. Um, She doesn't have a substance abuse problem, but she had just been feeling like God was telling her, you know, take some self-control with alcohol and just take a break for a little while. And probably not forever, just for a season. She, didn't, she told me she really didn't want to do this. Um, but once she decided she was going to stop drinking, she felt so much freedom. And I love that because isn't that the opposite of what you'd expect? You'd think that she would feel limited or restricted because she had to give up something. But actually, she felt free. Um, she felt free to say no to something that wasn't helpful for her right now. And she feels closer to God in a new way because she's listening to him. She's obeying him um, out of love for him, not out of obligation. And that's what the Christian life should be like, you know, walking alongside, with, alongside God. So is there something that you feel like God wants you to say no to? I want to encourage you to be who you are. You're a new creation. You're free to obey Jesus when he asks you to give something up. You're the butterfly now, not the caterpillar, so don't go back to the caterpillar habits. Let's live truly free lives. The fourth way that we can be who we are as new creations is by living in community. First Peter says, um, I have a slide for that, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Ian's been preaching a sermon series on Nehemiah, as Alka mentioned, um, for the last couple months. And we're seeing how God saves us as individuals, but he saves us into a community effort. It's not just me and Jesus. He saved us into a community of believers. And we need each other to help us stay on track. Um, Paul said, I submitted my gospel to those who were in Christ before me, lest I run in vain. So he knew he wasn't a law unto himself. He knew he couldn't just do it on his own. He honored the whole body by listening to others and making sure he didn't get off course in his theology. And the danger, if we isolate ourselves, is that we can become one-issue Christians. we emphasizing one aspect of the gospel. Um, but if we are in a community of believers, it helps to keep us balanced. And also think about how beautiful that is, how honoring to God when all of us are operating together as a family of believers, as as the church family, following Jesus, not burdened by shame, not burdening each other with unwritten rules or unnecessary restrictions. And in the church community, each of us gets the opportunity to to be helpful to each other at countering the lies of the enemy. You know, we have a spiritual enemy. And he puts that, he's that voice in our head saying, you're not good enough, you're a failure. Well, personally, I've benefited so much from lots of you here in the church and other believers who have countered that condemnation with the truth that I'm accepted, I'm accepted by God because of Jesus. I'm not a failure. God's always with me. You know, that's just one of the things I love about the church. So being who we are means living in community. And lastly, Being who we are means doing what God has given us to do. Hard work and grace aren't enemies. (laughs) Paul said he wasn't afraid of hard work, and he actually said he worked harder than anyone. Yet not I, he said, but the grace of God with me. We don't work hard as a way of paying Jesus back for what he's done for us. Like We could never hope to do that. We work hard because as new creations, he's given each of us things to do things to be faithful with, family, work, school, other responsibilities. Um, But I believe he's also given each of us unique um, passion and enthusiasm for specific things, things he's put on our heart to do that are unique to us because he's made each of us different. Some of you I know are passionate about music or the arts. Some of you are gifted in the trades and you love seeing something come to be, you know, like plumbing or carpentry. Um, And some of you are passionate about taking care of people in the medical field. So what's he put on your heart to do? What are you passionate about? One of the things that God's put on my heart to do is be in the military. Um, And it's kind of a unique job for women. 18% of the Air National Guard, that's the branch I'm in, are women. If you get into the officers, it's even smaller, and then commanders, it's even smaller. Um, So I've had to get comfortable operating in a workplace where I'm a little out of place, Um, but I know God's put me there. He's helped me to get comfortable in my own skin. He's given me other women in the military as mentors and good friends that I can look up to um, that help me when they've seen me at some pretty low points. They help me when I'm discouraged and they encourage me to stick it out. And he keeps giving me enthusiasm for what I'm doing. Like each morning, you know, there's fresh grace and energy there. He's been right alongside me. And I've really questioned sometimes, like, is it worth doing this? Because it's hard for me and it's hard for my family a, a lot of times. Um, a couple years ago, I had a chance to take on a new job to be a commander, um, but. It meant going to Texas for four months of training and leaving Jay, taking care of a two-year-old and a five-month-old. And he was right in the throes of starting a new business. So it was kind of crazy timing. Um, But we talked about it a lot and prayed about it. We felt like that was what God had given me and us to do. And those were some really hard days, mostly hard for Jay, who's kind of like a superhero, real-life superhero. Um, But those were hard times. And God was with us in them. He supplied everything we needed, more than we needed. And we knew that it is what he had given us to do. And I know lots of you have done much harder things, like to follow what he's put on your heart to do. So what's he given you to do? What excites you? What really gets you passionate about I love watching all the different ways that that looks like in each of you. And I want to encourage you, if you're starting to do something or you're thinking about starting to do something that's unique or different, God is with you. you know, don't, don't give up. Keep going. Um, don't shy away from that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, but we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, Our inner man is being made new day by day. So it's not that we work hard all week getting burned out and then Sunday rolls around and we come up for air, like we get a little more grace and then we dive back into the chaos for Monday. It's actually as we work that God supplies what we need. It's as we work that we receive grace. And if that's you, like Paul, and you feel burdened excessively beyond your strength, if you're ready to call it quits, run to Jesus. He is our helper. He's leaning forward, ready to answer. Provide the grace that you need. And when you ask, he'll give you more than you even thought to ask. And he gives you grace when you don't ask, too. Um, His grace is with you as you go to do the things he's put on your heart to do. Paul felt free to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that's what I want for us today, too, to be able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. A new creation, new, no longer a sinner, holy, saint, transformed, and even now continuing to be transformed by his grace, made more and more like Jesus. Not thinking, I wish I were holy, but knowing I am holy and just being who I am. Free to do whatever he's given me to do. Free to work in the military, or whatever he's put on my heart to do. Free to work hard at being a parent. Free to say no to things that aren't helpful for me. Not isolated, but benefiting from the community of the church and other believers. Living knowing I'm fully accepted by God as his child. Not trying to look the part of a child of God. Just being who I am. So I'm gonna end there. um, But if you're struggling with your identity as a new creation, if you're carrying around shame or you're feeling discouraged, please don't stay there. We have people available uh, from our prayer ministry team who would love to come alongside you. You know, benefit from the community of the church today. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, this is a chance to do that. This is a great chance for that. So come up and talk to us at the end of the meeting. Um, we're going to do communion together in a minute. So I'm going to hand the meeting over to Gareth. Oh. Thank you, Emily. But... um. Don't miss out on an opportunity to get prayer today if you want that.